Hey, and welcome to Shitty Book Reports, where the reports are shitty, but the books are not. I'm Mark. I'm here with Trevor. How are you feeling tonight, Trevor? I feel good tonight. I feel breezy. How do you breezy. feel? Okay. I feel like a uh, like a most peculiar man. Oh. And that's uh, sort of a clue for my intro here. Yeah, what's you, you said that there's an intro that was quote-unquote huge news. To the, <laughs> to the to our particular set a podcast yeah set. i got the scoop and you know i'm thinking there's... it might have to do something with art garfunkel but i'm not 100 <laughs> sure <laughs> well you're actually right there well because a most a most peculiar man that's a simon and garfunkel song there um, you go there's a there's a very real chance that this is breaking news in the world and i'm gonna have to like run a twitter search damn you've got that. the exclusive <laughs> i mean I mean, okay, so here's the thing. If you remember when I covered the hand handmaid's tale, like mm -hmm. probably early this year, late last year, maybe. What is time? I noted, I noted that it, yeah, that it was the last book on Garfunkel's website and mm -hmm. he stopped updating it in 2018. Right. I, you know, I probably checked it a few times between then and mm -hmm. now. And I checked it. I was I was like looking for an intro and I couldn't think of anything. And I just checked his website again, just like, you know, just last ditch effort at coming up with something. And he saved my ass. He updated his website for to, up to 2021. Nice. Exclusive. You heard it here yeah. first. Like, I think there's a real chance that I might have been the first person to notice. <laughs> like, unless he sends out like a newsletter or something like. I mean, who else is randomly checking that? <laughs> the Art Garfunkel website, <laughs> specifically the library section. Yeah, but where is the library? I'm on his podcast. Oh, there it is. All right, yeah, 2018 to 2021. Here it is. Yeah. So that so my big uh my big thing I noticed though is that he slowed down a little bit last couple of years. You know. Maybe it's kind of like I've Pathetic. got all the time in the world. Yeah, it could be like you know, like like we were thinking. He's probably when we went to quarantine. He's probably like, oh yeah, I'm gonna just read like a book a day. And Definitely, then and then nothing. Probably, like binge watched a bunch of TV shows <laughs> and stuff. But... Then he binge watched The Handmaid's Tale after. Yeah, <laughs> in 2018 <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, so um, so if you got it pulled up, you can follow along with me. I'll, I'm just yeah. gonna go through. It does look like all... he slowed down. Yeah, I'm going to go through all of them uh, and I'll just either read a quick blurb or like a review for each new entry. Because, you know, when we first talked about him, it was about, you know, what he's reading kind of gives you a glimpse into how he's feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he does do a lot of that with like, yeah, you calculated like, you know, like after 9-11, he read like, what is war and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So here we very, so here very we go. transparent fellow. So he stopped in 2018. He only had put one book on there for 2019. I'm not buying it. Uh, and it's only 57 pages long. Like, I can't believe that he just maybe he read a bunch of trashy stuff and just didn't like. Want maybe. To it. Yeah. Like, like, uh. I personally think like, like, okay, remember how I've talked before about how like the book that you carry on the New York subway is like a status symbol in a way. Yeah. Like, yeah. so 
you know, you don't like, I personally would not like, I would read game of Thrones, but I wouldn't like advertise it. And the same thing with like, like I love Harry Potter, but I would rather have it on a Kindle in a public place. I don't know where that shame comes from. I don't know if I'm just like a a jerk or whatever, but maybe, uh, you know, in 2019, he was reading like bridge to Terabithia or some shit. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah, one book 2019 from, uh, Gellet Burgess or Gellet Burgess. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's called, have you, have you an educated heart? And it's from 1923. It's only 57 pages long. So weird. Uh, I got a section here from a five-star review. It says, although a little dated, this short book makes you evaluate the way you express appreciation to others. When mm-hmm. I finished the book, which can be done in under an hour, I just wanted to get up and make stuff, letters, cookies, just things for other people. It also made me think about small kindnesses I showed to myself or should be. So maybe he just spent like all 2019, like self-care, self-caring, gonna like stay out of the library and like hang out with my family, I guess. He was, he was the only one who knew about COVID. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe something happened in his life in 2019 where it's like some like horrific tragedy. Like, like someone like he knew like passed away or something. And he's like, I just can't read. (laughs) I mean, possibly. So then we come to 2020. Uh, The first book here is David Talbot's The Devil's Chessboard, Alan Dulles, The CIA and the Rise of America's Secret Government. Damn. America's Secret Government. Yeah, an explosive headline-making portrait of Alan Dulles, Dulles, the man who transformed the CIA into the most powerful and secretive colossus in Washington, from the founder of Salon.com and author of the New York Times bestseller, Brothers, <laughs> and spout the longest-serving director of the CIA. So he's like, this is probably before COVID, maybe like January, February. Right. He's like, just, uh, well, isn't like at that time though, there was like a, there was a period where it was like, everyone was all like, everyone's all pissed off at Trump 24 seven. Right. But yeah, um, there was a period where it was like, cause a lot of the like um, scandals with the impeachment and like the Russian, like, you know, data leaks and, you know, his phone calls and stuff. But there was like a period where it was like everyone, cause he was like disregarding the CIA. Remember yeah. it was like a whole thing where like multiple intelligence agencies were like, dude, like, this is what we think. And he was like, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Garfunkel was like tuning into that shit. Yeah. Just getting more into American politics and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, that was probably early. And then we get to Eric Larson's The Splendid and the Vile. Who is Eric Larson? I feel like I know uh, who that is. The author of The Devil in the White City and Dead Wake. Oh, for some it. reason. I, oh, it's isn't it like Stig Larson who wrote like Dragon Tattoo or whatever? Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? Yeah, that sounds right. So um, this one's about Winston Churchill during the and London during the Blitz. Ooh. So just some history. Mm-hmm. Next one is uh, Victor E. Frankel's "Yes to Life in Spite of Everything." So this is a uh, autobiography. Sounds like another sort of like affirm like life affirming book. Yeah, it's about a uh, survivor of the Holocaust. Uh, who Maybe not. <laughs> in, the, 
in, in, in Vienna afterwards. Hmm. Uh, he was a psychiatrist. Um, it was translated for the first time in 2019 to English. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, and live as if you were living for the second time. Hmm. Crisis contains opportunity, stuff like that. So, yeah, uh, probably at the <laughs> the beginning of COVID. That's what he's reading. And then check this one out. And this one's interesting. So it's from Sanford David Greenberg, and it's another autobiography. And it's called Hello, Darkness, Mild Friend. Hmm. Isn't that what I was like? Them? Yeah, I was like, wait, did he read like a book about his band? But no, it's just the name that they just, he just borrowed the title for this book. It's actually... Uh, the remarkable, inspiring story of a Columbia undergrad from a poor Jewish family who, after losing his eyesight to disease during his junior year, finds the power to break through the darkness and fulfill his vision uh, for a life of great professional success and distinguished public service. So I see either two pathways into how art discovered this book. The first would be that, like, you have to go through, like, like, oh, I want to title my book this, and then it gets published by a major publisher, and then they have to, like, seek the rights, right? So it's like yeah. he hears about it, and he's like, sure, but just send me it, you know, like, whatever. Yeah, I need the, I need a first edition for my library. <laughs> or or the opposite end of the spectrum would be, like, like imagine art is just, like, in Barnes & Noble or something, and he, like, sees the <laughs> book spine, and he's like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Did I write this? <laughs> yeah. Could be true. Yeah. Yeah. I have to find out. Uh, the next one is Too Much and Never Enough How My Family Created the World's Most Dangerous Man. That's the uh, the tell all book written by Trump's niece, Mary Trump. Yeah, dude. He's definitely yeah. dialed in. He, read he gets yeah. <laughs> he gets dialed in. He gets like he gets like infected by current events, but then you know he's a well-read guy, so he's like, I'm gonna go deep. Yeah, yeah. The next one is Doris Kearns Goodwin, uh, her book called Leadership. Okay. And it's, uh, she, uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin draws upon the four presidents she has studied most closely, Lincoln, Roosevelt, or both Roosevelt's, and Lyndon B. Johnson, to show how they recognize leadership qualities within themselves and were recognized as leaders by others. Hmm. So he probably like needed a palate cleanse on like presidency after reading probably. the Trump book. <laughs> that like, was like a rage read. It yeah. was like it's like he read everything wrong and then he was like, I need to read about the legendary men who have shaped our nation. <laughs> the next one is uh Stanley Kubrick, American filmmaker by David Mikey. Damn. I wish he had read I it sucks that he read the one, the David Mikey one, because I actually, one of my professors from school um, literally is like, it, the joke is, right, that he wrote the book on Kubrick. So there's a famous book by uh, Vinnie Lobruto. Yeah. That is like the other, you know, Kubrick book. It would be funny if Art Garfunkel read, read that. But <laughs> hey, reading a book on Kubrick is, you know, it's good enough. Yeah, well, this is from 2020, so oh, like a brand new thing. Yeah, your your professor probably beat him to the punch here. Probably yes. Uh, the next one is uh, just a random one, I guess. 
uh, Julie Satow's or Satow's The Plaza, The Secret Life of America's Most Famous Hotel. Mm, that might the, be interesting. Uh, New York City. Yeah, The Journalist. Plaza Hotel. Yeah. Have you ever stayed there? No, but I've been outside of it many times across yeah. the street in the famous Apple store as well. The big, like, <laughs> the famous Apple store. Square Apple store. So she's a journalist, and uh, it's, I guess, a lot of stuff happened there. I don't know. I'm sure. I mean, I, I would expect <laughs> at least a few murders or something. Yeah. All right. The next one's another interesting one. Um, Ash Carter and Sam Kashner's Life Isn't Everything. Mike Nichols as remembered by 150 of his closest friends. Hmm. Do you know Mike Nichols, filmmaker? No. An up-and-close personal portrait of legendary filmmaker, theater director, and comedian drawing on candid conversations with his closest friends from Dustin Hoffman and Meryl Streep to Natalie Portman and Lauren Michaels. What did he I'm going to go into it. He, uh, I think, well, I think Art might be one of the 150 people who was interviewed. Oh, he made, he made The Graduate. Yeah, he did uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, okay. The Graduate. He did the Catch-22 movie, which Art Garfunkel was in. So I'm thinking that he was interviewed in this yeah. book. Yeah. Probably. No, yeah. I definitely should have known who that was. That's like... He also, people, he also did the Birdcage. You ever people, seen that? People Robert are going to be like, you went to film school and didn't know my nigga. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, I'm, I'm looking on Wikipedia now. Mike Wick, Mike. Nichols did not die in 2019. I was thinking maybe that's what happened to Art. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that like the yeah. guy died or whatever, but he died in 2014. So, nope. Yeah, I think his last movie was um, Charlie Wilson's War or something. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so then that brings us to 2021. Only one book from 2021 so far. Wow, nine months uh, in. Unless he's just not yeah. updating. I, I think... Well, I feel like I checked it like maybe in springtime. So who knows? Uh, Ruth Ben Giat Strong, Ruth Ben Giat's book, Strong Men, Mussolini to the Present. So he's <laughs> back on his like, yeah, you know, like, like authoritarian <laughs> yeah, like, leaders. Yeah. Leader, leadership and the good and bad sides of it. Interesting. So that's the latest thing. Awesome. Art breaking. Breaking, Bra breaking, that. breaking news! No one is looking at the Art Garfunkel Library page except us and our small, yeah. small cadre of listeners. <laughs> yeah, I got it. I got it bookmarked. Nice. So yeah, his, there's like, a his joke in there are, somewhere. His numbers are way down, but way down. I think I think he like flubbed. Like something happened where he was like, "Oh shit! I forgot to write down every book I read in 2019 or something like that." Yeah. But at least you could at least try, my man. <laughs> try to remember. Yeah, he's got that. I don't know. Maybe you just get they get lost in his giant library. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'll uh, I'll keep checking. Next yeah. time it gets updated, I'll give you another update. Keep refreshing. We want the exclusives. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you're going first. Yeah, I am. Uh, I am ready. I'm going to start by reading from an April 2021 article from CNN. Okay. 
There may not be a bigger promoter of the idea that humanity should go to Mars than Elon Musk, but Musk is once again in the news for admitting, though not for the first time, the truth about his dream. A bunch of people will probably die in the process. Mm -hmm. Musk made the comments during an interview with XPRIZE founder Pete Diamandis last week, adding about the journey. It's uncomfortable. It's a long journey. You might not come back alive. We won't make anyone go, he said. Volunteers only. Colonizing Mars could be dangerous and ridiculously expensive. Elon Musk wants to do it anyway. But Musk has frequently talked about the inevitable dangers of his plans for Mars travel, saying at a virtual conference in August that there's a good chance you'll die. Such risk predictions track with historical human spaceflight initiatives. Three astronauts died in a fire during grounds testing during NASA's Apollo program last century, and 14 other astronauts were killed during the space shuttle era in the Columbus and Challenger disasters. Musk has previously said he hopes to one day live on Mars, but does not indicate that he would be part of any early settlement missions. So what are your thoughts on uh, Mars settlement? Um... You know, I'm on board with the idea that like some of the, you know, wealthiest people on this planet are starting to generate the idea that maybe life beyond Earth is possible. I think it's an awesome like goal of like humanity to try to do that. But at the same time, I feel like I'm on board and then I hear other arguments where people are like, well, you know, don't just like don't like abandon this planet because we're supposed like supposedly supposed to go on to another planet. And uh, another thing like uh, I think is like really wacky is uh, have you ever watched anything about like terraforming? Like trying to like change the atmosphere of another planet so that it's like, you know, habitable to us. Yeah. And. I always thought that that sounded so cool. And then I watched a YouTube video with my wife about it. And it just some, it just seemed, it was like a video that was about terraforming Venus and like, and like just different like theories and ideas on how to do it. And it was like talking about how it would be like a project for humanity that would be completed over like a several thousand year period. And I was like, yeah. I, and I was like, humans aren't, capable of that like yeah like because <laughs> the idea there are there have been human projects right that outlet that are like purposely started like scientists and stuff do studies where it's like this study won't be done until after i'm dead like it's already happened and things yeah. like the pyramids and like other things like you know the development of cities Take and technology time, yeah, yeah it, go it goes beyond the life that started it but the idea of like terraforming a planet is like yes and then for another hundred year period we would have to you know slowly introduce ice into the atmosphere and it's like no it's not gonna happen <laughs> like i don't have enough faith in humanity that it will terraform i thought I thought that there were more elegant solutions, but the most elegant solutions are like, and then over a 200 year period, we float mirrors around their sun. And it's like, no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I can see is like, just basically like a tube city kind of thing. Dude, you know, like, like they have for like gerbils and stuff. Human beings are definitely <laughs> incapable of investing like, oh, we're going to like do this time, money, everything for like, like a generation that's a millennia away. It's like not within our reach. Yeah. Where's the money? Yeah. There's no profit in that. Man. Yeah. There's, it's not within our reach unless we start being like, like de-aging and living to like 500 or whatever, then it's not going to happen. 
Yeah, yeah. So that's my right. that's my extremely brief <laughs> uh, five minute speech about Mars. Okay, because uh, this week I read a book kind of about that topic, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I got a fresh author for us we have not covered yet. Nice, mine's fresh too. Cool. I I read 1950s The Martian Chronicles by Ray Bradbury. Cool. Which is what's called a, a fix up novel, apparently. Uh, and that's the first time I've came across that term. Never heard uh, it. Do you have any any guess what that is? A fix up? Yeah. Think about like the era of 1950s, like sci-fi. I have no idea. So like, you know, they had all those weird magazines, like the pulp mm -hmm. magazines where like writers like Bradbury would get their start, like just writing little, you know, short stories and stuff that fit on a couple magazine pages and stuff. Mm -hmm. So this is a novel that's put together from stories from magazines. Uh, and they're all oh, linked okay. in kind of in a way that it's basically a complete narrative. Like this, I got to read directly from the Wikipedia because this was just so awesome. The Martian Chronicles may at first appear to be a planned short story cycle. However, Bradbury did not specifically write the Martian Chronicles as a singular work. Rather, its creation as a novel was suggested to Bradbury by a publisher publisher's editor years after most of, most of the stories had already appeared in many different publications. In responding to the suggestion, the 29-year-old Bradbury was shocked by the idea that he had already written a novel and remember saying, oh my God, I read <laughs> Winesburg, Ohio by Sherwood Anderson when I was 24 and I said to myself, oh God, wouldn't it be wonderful if someday I could write a book as good as this but put on, on the planet Mars? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. That's cool. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and a cool little book reference. It's like makes me want to read that other book that he talked about. Yeah, I'm going to talk about that too because uh, I didn't, had never heard of that, but it sounds it sounds good, and it's <laughs> it's, it's good. very well liked. Yeah, uh, it's from the 20s, and it you know it really sounds like a it sounds like a midwestern Canterbury Tales kind of. It's about mm -hmm. like growing up in Ohio. I mean, at Winesburg, Ohio. Hmm. but yeah uh, cool so it's like this found footage book kind of like found material like how sort of. like how carrie is written in like news articles or whatever a little bit a little bit it's it's the stories are sort of connected in a way that it's the same it's the same stuff going on it's like several attempts at colonizing mars and it i'll say that it, they're linked in that it's like chronological mm -hmm. they have it set up where starts in the future of 1999 you got rocket ships from earth start heading to mars and it kind of follows throughout the years where they basically colonize the native martians like mm -hmm. there are there are in this book there are people on mars right not, not humans but like sort of proto-humans and they set up it's kind of weird like he said he, it's he modeled it after like a midwestern story so he like kind of sets like the people who go to mars they try and set up like the mars version of ohio <laughs> like they want they set up like the new american dream but the white mars. picket fence yeah <laughs> and it, it really covers a lot of ground throughout though like through each chapter he kind of focused on a theme like uh you know, war and prejudice and censorship and religion uh, it almost doesn't really matter that the setting is Mars. And mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, like he said, he just wanted to kind of make 
uh, a Winesburg, Ohio type book just on Mars. Hmm. But Bradbury, Bradbury's sick. He, um, the flow of his writing is really awesome. And I had never read any of his science fiction-y stuff. Just kind of, I guess you could say Fahrenheit 451 is a little bit like science fiction-y. Um, it's more like alternate history. I guess the, the robotic aspect is kind of sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've read Something Wicked This Way Comes. And I think I started The Illustrated Man like a long time ago, but I didn't follow up with it. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a lot of he's kind of a very divisive figure in in sci-fi because he's not hard sci-fi mm-hmm. he's not he's more fantasy side like he doesn't get caught up in the technicalities of stuff right like other sci-fi authors he kind of he kind of requests that you suspend your disbelief quite a bit mm-hmm. uh, but he's got quite an imagination um and you know that reminded me of an early simpsons joke that i'm just gonna play i hope this is loud enough let's let's see hold on technical difficulties all right here we go as your president i would demand a science fiction library featuring an abc of the overlords of the genre asimov master clark well what about ray bradley i'm aware of his work thank you and keep watching the skies <laughs> yeah did that come through yeah what about ray bradbury <laughs> <laughs> i'm aware of his work yeah so he's like not hard enough sci-fi for martin prince there nice um but yeah so so what do you feel about that like hard sci-fi versus fantasy sci-fi where it's i'm fine know, with that. i think it's about the skill of the author to be honest i think it's all like it's like there's cool there's like that cool aspect right that like arthur c clark like legitimately might have just been like pondering things because he also like invented radios and stuff yeah <laughs> um which is cool but i don't think that that backstory is like a required element like if ray bradbury had written like some like something clark-esque and what's funny about the people who do get agitated about that hard sci-fi line is that they possibly give more um, leeway as long as someone is quote unquote legit. Like there's yeah. a there's Clark stories that don't really have anything to do with actual like hard sci-fi. Like, um, you know, he writes one thing and, oh, he's so legit because of like this that and the other thing but there's that that i remember there's a really good clark short story that i read once that was like totally like not even that much sci-fi it was like this guy goes to like the top of a mountain and there's like these buddhist monks who are predicting the end of civilization and then the guy thinks it's all bullshit and then the end of the story is he just like looks up into the night sky and the stars start to disappear and it's like that's like the whole thing and it's like that's not some like oh my god like it's so based on fact like whatever so it definitely has to do with the skill of the author i think that they can get lost in soft what do you call it soft sci-fi <laughs> i guess yeah. uh like but if they're not good at it then they're not good at it but if they yeah, are yeah. then they are i mean like you know what is like what is uh ender's game is that like oh it's not like fact enough 
it's got it seems kind of weird i think yeah. it's like it's one of those things like it's like a movie where uh, you know like a great actor you don't see the acting like that's like a thing that people often say right and i think it yeah. goes it, it goes the same way with believability in books where it's like whether it's hard sci-fi or soft sci-fi if you're if you like feel yourself being jaded from the first page then it probably just sucks <laughs> right yeah because all fiction all books are like made up so in a sense it's like oh this is like a stupid like uh series like uh let's do a good example like there's an example of uh there's a guy who wrote a series of books called the magicians and it's like a harry potter knockoff type of thing but it's not yeah. And that's about real kids who like live in New York City and then they discover magic. And I think I've read two of them. I think, yeah, I've read two of them and they suck. You know, <laughs> it's like they, you know, it's like, oh, we were in New York City and then we found out this puzzle and now we have magic powers and like whatever. And it's like, that's stupid. But it's not stupid that like Harry Potter like receives a letter that he's actually a wizard. Like it's not stupid, <laughs> but you know, cause JK Rowling's better. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can see that it really does depend on the skill. Um, but I'm just, <laughs> I'm just looking at the book right now in my hand here. And it's even contra it's even like, can't make up its own mind just on the cover of the book. <laughs> it says, a masterwork of fantasy, the Martian Chronicles. And then the quote underneath is the world's greatest living science fiction writer. <laughs> and then the book is labeled Bantam Science Fiction. Uh, on the, the spine. Um, spine, it says science fiction. And on the back, it says fantasy again. <laughs> <laughs> it just really, really can't decide that. Uh, maybe this, these terms were indistinguishable to the, what did you say the publisher was? Uh, Bantam. Bantam. Maybe they were like, yeah. eh, it's all the same shit. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, you know, that's all I got for this one. Dragons, uh, spaceships. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, they were probably classified like dinosaurs as fans. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was, you know, it's a really good read. I'm excited to crack into the uh, Bradbury catalog some more. I think I might you might find you might find too, like you know, I was saying about Peter Straub, where people are like, it's a, it, like it wins the fantasy award of the year. It's like, dude, this is about soldiers in Vietnam. Yeah. <laughs> like, it has nothing to do with fantasy. <laughs> True. You write one classic novel, and you just get like yep. the Fahrenheit 451, I guess. Pigeonhole. Yeah. So I got a one-star review here from user Epino, and nice. I translated this from the Italian because I, I liked I like the way translate. that it looked. Yeah, I like the way that it looked. Uh, the first few sentences you'll see. Um, ugly, ugly, and overrated. In the first part, it is almost illegible, and I don't know if it's the author who writes with his feet or it's the translation that sucks. I have read novels written before 1950 with infinitely better prose and, above all, closer to the present day. Hmm, ugly. Uh, I can't believe it was written by the same author as Fahrenheit 451, which is which to me is a very good novel. There you go. So one one star to this one. What do you uh, get? Five stars. This is our new theme. Five, yeah, five stars to like 
a ton of graphic novel volumes. Like I couldn't click through enough pages. It was all graphic <laughs> novels and they were all five stars. <laughs> the best books ever written were drawn. <laughs> um, and I have a bonus five-star review just because I liked it. Uh, it's from user Mark Monday. In the, it's in the form of a riddle. Nice. What is science fiction as parable? What creates a series of haunting and haunted tableau onto which we can project our own desires and fears? What transcends genre trappings? What is a landscape of forgotten plans and failed goals? What is like a waking dream? What is a journey that begins in death and ends with a small, fragile chance that all is not lost? What is like tears painted on a page? What is witty and sardonic and tender and angry and finally full of its own strange and painful painfully human soulfulness answer the martian chronicles so this guy <laughs> loved this book man. damn he wrote his own book about the martian yeah. chronicles oh, oh that was only one of the riddles there was like 10 riddles it was a really long it was wow. a really long review yeah. a sonnet yeah nice a shout out to mark monday cool mark it's mark uh, i'm talking to mark and it's monday yep mark monday cool uh awesome yeah bradbury haven't really gotten too much into him so that's cool yeah it was one of my um uh one of my book fair halls oh nice yeah. cool all right uh i have a brand new book sitting in front of me someone we've never covered before and also shockingly a brand new book in terms of this was published i'm getting to the publishing page right now 2019 okay Pretty new. So yeah, yeah. We're always saying how it's a struggle to catch up to the modern era. Um, so I bought this book on a whim. Um, you know, just trolling around the internet as we all do. And I saw some uh like a blurb or something, you know, like a book review or something or blah blah blah. And it had in like the first like two or three sentences of this thing that I had clicked on. It's, it just said, uh, you know, the author had spent something like a decade, at least eight years, if not like, I think it's like actually like fully 10 years writing this book about women. And I was like, whoa, like they spent 10 years like of research, like doing it, like living. It kind of sounded almost like. It, it gave me that like impression gave me like the, you know, Truman Capote vibes. You know how I told you he like went down to like the town where that murder happened in cold blood. Yeah, just lived there. Lived there. So it has those vibes, um, which so I'm. Is this, is this a male or female author though? Okay. So here we go. I'll tell you the title. Okay. I, okay. I always try to hold back. I'm not good at holding back the title. Like you are, you ask like good <laughs> questions. You like ask good questions and like drop a bomb. And I'm like, this is the book I read. So uh, the book I read is by Lisa Tadeo, so woman, and the okay. book is called Three Women. Okay. And it's like a book right now. Like it's a number one New York Times bestseller. Like, wow. It's hot. Yeah, it's hot. People says revolutionary. Atlantic says astonishing. Vanity Fair calls it a masterpiece. So it's like all these things. But I was attracted and actually in true form to like how we always talk about on the podcast i i like tried to read like nothing about it like i read those three sentences and it was like lisa Tadeo has spent eight years you know in 
like various locations writing about three different women and uh, their sexuality. And I was like, okay, like I'm, I'm done, but I am going to buy it. Like just put it in my Amazon cart. Like, you know, this will be a, a good change of pace. Um, so what's really interesting, right. Is that it's like this idea. So she writes this book kind of, that's like no one in many ways, like, like women's sexuality is like very falsified. Right. Um, maybe everyone's sexuality, you know, men, woman, trans, you know, whatever is like somehow like we don't really share, you know, it's like, it's the most intensely personal thing that you probably only share with one other person or a few other people. Right. Yeah. Um, so she goes forward and writes this book where it's basically like, I'm going to catch up with these three women. And I think actually that there were more than three, but then some of them like basically like dropped out. Like, I'm not like, I'm not going to allow you to like do this, whether you're changing my name or not, like blah, blah, blah. So, <laughs> so she takes some time and basically like, okay, it's written like a novel, but it is a nonfiction book. Again, those like, um, you know, in cold blood vibes where it's basically, she says in the beginning in the author's note, this is a work of nonfiction over the course of eight years. I have spent thousands of hours with the women in this book in person, on the phone, by text message and email. In two cases, I moved to towns where they lived and settled in as a resident so I could better understand their day-to-day -day lives. I was there to experience many of the moments I've included for the events that happened in the past or at times when I wasn't present, I've relied on the women's memories, their diaries and their communications. I have conducted interviews with friends and family members and followed their social media. But for the most part, I stayed with the point of view of the three women. So basically this, it, you, the vibes that I was getting is that I was establishing like a trust with this author that like it's written in a novel style, but you have to like trust the idea that she, you know, put in the work for eight years, which is, you know, pretty valid. Um, and yeah, so basically she says like later on in the, in, in that like short author's note intro, like any connective tissue that she might have done was like backed up by like text messages or interviews or, you know, anything like that. So um, I'll get into who the three women are and, you know, what's interesting about this book now, a book written, a modern book written in 2019 about three women and their the world of like their sexuality. Do you think it's going to be overwhelmingly positive and brimmed with romantic, uh, chivalrous figures? Uh, probably not. <laughs> probably <laughs> not. Yes, uh, there is some there there. There are some like redeeming like moments of of men and relationships in this book, but for the most part, it is pretty fucking tragic. I mean, it's like it's the idea that, you know, along with the Me Too movement became like came like a reckoning of like, hey, every dude should know that like most of the women you know have like ridiculous, horrifying stories, <laughs> you know, like yeah. things that you thought never happened, but they did because it's like super commonplace. So let me get down into like who the three women are, because that's like the most important thing about this book. So we know who the author is, Lisa Tadeo. The three women you only know by first name. Um, and the first one who you meet first is Maggie. Maggie is 
a girl. She's not really, I mean, she's a woman later on in the book, but she is a girl at the beginning of the book who is 17 years old and is like, it's a true story of her being groomed by her high school teacher. Jeez. Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting because this is one of the only books, like I said, like this is not some like happy go lucky like story and none of them are like really like super redeeming. Um, But the Maggie one is definitely like pretty dark. It's, you know, she was groomed by her high school teacher when she was at the age of 17. And one of the interesting perspectives of, and like in the very first chapter of the book, in the very first time you meet Maggie is, and I think this is why people are also like, kind of like, you know, like kind of attracted to the idea that this book is like a, a, is a new perspective is the first thing that she does when she's talking about how her, how her high school teacher, you know, groomed her into a sexual romantic relationship is that she is attracted to him. Like, it's like, it's years later, they've literally gone to court. Like one of the first scenes is her seeing him like, you know, in like, in like the like pre-trial, like deposition or whatever it is. I don't know what it's called. But the idea that this girl was like preyed upon, but at the same time, it's like, okay, so when I was 17, I fell in love with an older man who happened to be my teacher. He did some fucked up shit. But at the same time, like he molded like the idea of like who I'm attracted to. So like that is like fucking me up, you know? Yeah. And it's a real, yeah, it's very complicated. And I think that's like the idea of like why this book is, you know, what Vanity Fair called the masterpiece, because it is like, oh, okay. Like I've, like you all, I've only heard, you've only heard the polarized bullshit, right? Like you've only heard like, like the girl was crazy and that wasn't true about this guy. And then you've also heard like he was a monster and like, and you know, her life is fucked up forever. And with Maggie, her life is definitely fucked up, but at the same time, it's like, you know, the, the like rose colored glasses of falling in love for the first time when you're 17, but to somebody who's like really kind of like stealing your innocence is really weird. And it has a lot of modern references and stuff in it too. Like their love story began when he like left like weird, like creepy notes in her version, in her edition of Twilight. Oh God. So it's like, you know, stuff like that, but she does it. She tells it in a way, especially being from Maggie, all the, all the women's perspective is that it kind of like creeps in. Like, it's not like, like I said, it's not the villainized thing of like, he left notes in her Twilight books that next on 60 minutes, like this guy's fucked up. It's like, it's more like he was the best teacher, you know, like he was the nicest teacher, like he was awesome. And she, and he related to her cause she had alcoholic parents and like all this other shit and it's intense. So that's Maggie. Then the second woman is named Lena. That's how you know her, her name is Lena. And the deal with Lena, I think, well, it's unfair to say that anyone is less interesting than Maggie is definitely the most intense one, but Lena, the other, the second one is like basically in a way like the typical dead end marriage where it's like, I got married to this dude who wasn't like, she was like on fire for this guy in her early years. And then she ends up getting married to someone else. She has kids. Mm -hmm. She has a house. 
and it's kind of like that typical thing like she has kind of like a dead bedroom marriage where it's like she's psyching herself up like it's been three months since my husband like even touched me and i'm like if it passes the three month mark like then i'm i know i'm gonna like leave him and she's trying to like build up her courage because they it's not working um and it goes through some like really intimate stuff too like you like i said like stuff that you wouldn't normally share like she basically is like oh you know i have like a fetish where i love french kissing like maybe it's because i'm immature it's because i was you know fell in you know fell in love with this other guy at a different you know when i was really young but she loves french kissing and then her husband like hates it and it's like this like dynamic of like what do you do in that situation she has kids that she has to take care of and inevitably, you know, in, you know, sort of like that dead bedroom, not really caring for each other situation, she does like start sleeping with someone else. Um, so it's also about the deep kind of like, uh, there's some good writing there about like kind of the deep, like how like secrecy is so powerful of like an aphrodisiac kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um and obviously the guy who she's cheating on her husband with is nothing like him. It's actually the guy who she fell in love with when she was like in high school. So it's like this guy back from her past who, but there's an interesting power dynamic there too, which comes in later. Cause at first, like the way I'm describing it is like, oh, she's just like in this dead bedroom relationship and blah, 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 not happy in her marriage. But what also develops is this like power dynamic between this guy, the other guy is married too. Like they're both married at a certain point uh in their relationship but he like definitely wields the power it's like it's like they only do what they do when he like decides and is like he'll like text her and then it's like she has to drop her whole life to like do you know like you know make herself happy and him happy kind of thing yeah um so that's an interesting one and then the third woman three women right the third woman is a woman named sloan who is definitely the best off financially. And she comes from like, kind of like an area of privilege and her and her husband are in the restaurant business. They're restaurant owners and they do menage a trois. They do like, like sometimes another woman comes in, but more often it's like another man plus her husband. And it gets complicated. <laughs> it gets fucking complicated. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and it's not really. It's like about the power dynamics of that. It's about you know one of the stories. Spoiler alert is about like one of the most rock solid like relationships that they ever had. That was a menage a trois. They kind of like in their subconscious they like swept it under the rug that maybe that guy's wife. Like, oh yeah, she totally knows. Like, she definitely knows, but we're not thoroughly checking that she knows. And then obviously- sure. is it, it like, is it like some small kind of uh, community or? Kind of, yeah. I don't, I can't remember yeah, exactly. Does this take place all over the country? Or? It does, yeah. yeah. One of them, okay. I think two of them are like Midwestern vibes. And then the one, Sloan, the one that I'm talking about with the menage a trois, I think that's like, I can't remember. She does say in the book, but it's like a, it's not Martha's Vineyard, but it's like the Martha's Vineyard vibe, you know, right? Like it's like a summer Eastern town where it's like their restaurant is booming in the summer versus, you know, the winter when things are a little bit more calm, but they seem to be running, you know, like a great restaurant and a great life. And then they have this, you know, threesome, you know, love triangle relationship with a guy who's married. And it's interesting how they like kind of 
say to themselves like yeah like she's our friend and she definitely knows what's going on it's like no she doesn't like she definitely doesn't <laughs> but you guys and and another interesting thing that comes up in that power dynamic too is that spoiler alert when it all boils over it's the woman's fault right like it's like oh you're like so slutty like you sleep with my husband and your husband like blah blah, blah. and her wish that never happened is that her husband would take some sort of responsibility right like to sure. go to go over to the other wife and be like listen like he was my friend and like and we decide you know but it basically all falls on her shoulders and it's like kind of fucked um so yeah i mean it's just these like it's just like reading these mature like not only from their late teen years into being like matured women but almost like having like unimpeded access to what we're really doing you know yeah, and yeah. what some people are really doing and it's really interesting it's super well written i would say that you know i read it within like you know a week and a half or two weeks it is 306 pages long it's definitely like a trigger warning type of book there's like some non-consexual sense sex going on rape going on um with one of the characters that i didn't mention um so there's you know it's like a triggering book in that way um there was actually some really interesting it's one of those books that like since it's a new york times bestseller right it has one of those sections at the back that's like for your book club <laughs> um which has interesting questions and stuff um but yeah uh it it's it's a great book and i was gonna say you know i read it really quickly and i would say that it's well written but it also has like it has the vibes of like um you know getting into a long-form news article but one that's like you know 300 pages so okay i can get yeah i can get behind that yeah, it was it was interesting. It it flowed, you know, like a like a news article, but and some of it honestly probably is news. I haven't done I haven't gone the extra mile and actually looked up because I I'm pretty sure that the guy the teacher's name, she doesn't hide who he is. Um Aaron Nodal. I don't know if that's a real person, but if the name isn't changed then he apparently he was like teacher of the year in nashville or some shit like that um so yeah i mean it's horrible stuff it's you know interesting stuff it's not every page isn't like horrifying trauma but it is um you know dealing with life and it's it's really crazy it's a pretty good book and again totally i think it's legitimately backed up by that those truman capote vibes of like the original article that i read about it was like yep she spent eight years and actually lived there and like did all this sure. stuff so yeah immersing yourself in so so you're saying she basically stayed in this community or like in each of these communities for a total of like 10 years right i think it's eight years total but eight yeah and, total, then, and okay. then like and then maybe like two years of writing more yeah. or something like that yeah that is a that's a huge commitment. I'm glad it was it's successful for her. <laughs> right, that's true. Yeah, there's probably yeah. a lot of there's probably a lot of people out there being like, I spent ten years writing my nonfiction novel, <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a great book. It was easy to read, um, as expected from something you know, uh, you know, very 
kind of tantalizing but also modern and uh yeah it was good it was fucking sad um but you know can't all be about flowers and roses um but yeah i got a one-star review here and honestly i think that i don't really think that this one-star review is off base but i do think that um i think that part of the maybe this is like a failure of marketing in a way i think i did see this in the original um article that i read um and i don't even i can't even recall where that like source material was i'm really glad like this is like another affirmation of kind of going with the idea like don't read too much about the book just read the book kind of thing because i do think that people pick up this book being like "Ooh, it's a new york times bestseller it's three women and their sexualities like it's that marketed thing again right like it's it's like the idea that like this is going to be like some sexy book and uh, user Caroline on Goodreads says, three women depressed and sickened me. I read it this I read this during the summer, even making the mistake of reading it at the beach. It cast a pay a pall on what should have been a fun time, leaving me fe- feeling hollowed out and at times even hopeless. Well, no shit, Caroline. Like you don't like, I mean, I think it's just stupid. Like, you know, picking up the book and being like, Ooh, three women, especially like, again, I'm not even some, I, I probably like one of the worst people for like trying to be like woke and shit, but you're not picking up a book in the year 2020 that's named three women about their sexualities. That's going to be like a sex fest that you read at the beach. Like if you want that, <laughs> If you want that, then buy the book that has, you know, Fabio on the cover, you know, yeah. like that's I mean, a you can't, completely different thing. She, she should have just put it down and read something else if she's at the beach. Right. Yeah. She must have only, she must have only brought that book. Right. Was like, this is the one. Yeah. Right. And then, Probably. you know, she, her review is pretty long. That's the first paragraph, but it's marketed. <laughs> it's marketed as a book about female desire, which is also true. I think some of the marketing is like slightly off base where it's like, this is a book about female desire and blah, blah. But really it's about like desire plus like being like, you know, realistically flawed <laughs> as a human. Um, as all humans are so yeah i mean again caroline maybe you just read too much you need to follow our theory of not reading anything about the books that you read except the book themselves um so she gave a one-star review to three women she gave a five-star review to the giving tree she gave a five-star review to to something called the chocolate touch i don't know what the fuck that book is the chocolate touch it all started when John found the funny old coin. The man at the candy store, oh <laughs> the man at the candy store, was more than glad to trade John a box of chocolates for it. And John loved chocolate more than anything else in the world, or so he thought. Uh, I don't know what the fuck this is, but it's five stars versus one star for three women. She seems to have a lot of like kind of like children's books. Five star for the mommy book. Yeah. Five star. Uh, you know, whatever, Caroline. A little bit too much uh, mature content, I guess. Yes, mature content for the lover of the chocolate touch. The chocolate touch. <laughs> you had a funny old coin, huh? Could have <laughs> bought it with regular money. I love chocolate. Um, 
Anyway, great book. Three women. Glad to have read something modern. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, this has been Shitty Book Reports. Uh, you can find us pretty much wherever podcasts are not sold because this podcast is free. Uh, we're trying to do every two weeks now. We think we've settled on two weeks as uh, realistic to pound these 300-page books into our heads. Yeah. Um, that way so- we don't have to stick to the, the shorties. The shorties. So, um, you know, you can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Instagram, Twitter, Twitter, most actively, probably Apple, iTunes, all that good stuff. Uh, SBR, the podcast. Um, Thanks for listening and uh, see you next time. See ya.